So it was absolutely a disaster. You know, my dream come true just within 18 months. I was like, get me out of here. I never want to come back to this awful place again. And it really took a big shift for me to get from that place to now which was really taking on that I didn't know how to run a business and the skill set to run that clinic was completely different to being a practitioner. So I think that awareness first and foremost is the most important and then seeking help. I think as a profession there's a lot more that we can do and that definitely starts in colleges in terms of having a bit more of a practical application of some business, basic business acumen, most important being make more money than you spend, but how do you have the... Uh, I guess, processes and systems in place to know that that's happening. Welcome to the Metagenics Best Practice Podcast, Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, practitioner-to-practitioner conversations to inspire, mentor and learn from. Are these practice challenges you face? The change in private health fund rebates? How many products do you prescribe when considering cost to the patient? New graduates needing to hone their craft? Or the dilemma of business acumen? Running a natural medicine practice can bring about a specific set of challenges. I'm Angela Carroll, so join me today as we focus on identifying common challenges Australian natural medicine practitioners face, and we're in a roundtable discussion that is going to explore why these occur and suggest solutions. So joining me today are three very successful naturopaths and business owners with a collective understanding of over 60 years' experience. Hamish Everard is a naturopath who's been practicing for over 20 years. He owns and runs two clinics in Melbourne, one in Blackrock, the other in Pascoe Vale. Hamish manages chronic diseases, autoimmune diseases, infertility, and he loves what he is doing. Kearney Moore is a naturopath in Melbourne as well. She also owns two clinics, one in Lower Plenty and the other in Hawthorne, and she has a team of over 35. In practice, Kearney has a heavy focus on paediatrics, in particular OCD and ticks in children. We're also joined by Naomi Gillespie. Naomi is a naturopath, an acupuncturist and remedial massage therapist who also has two clinics, one in Mornington, Victoria and the other one in Western Australia. Naomi's passion is pain, motivation and empowerment. Don't forget to like, share and write a review so that we can reach more natural healthcare practitioners and build a community of support and resources for each other. Welcome everybody to the Standing on the Shoulders of Giants podcast. I am in Melbourne at the moment at the beautiful Sofitel Hotel and we're doing a round table today. So I'm Angela Carroll and here with me is Hamish Everard, Kearney Moore and Naomi Gillespie. Hi guys. Hi. Hi Hi everyone. Thanks for inviting us along. You're more than welcome. What we want to talk about today is just raising awareness in the industry, natural healthcare practitioners, on common problems that they're facing, implications, but we want to be solution focused. So grab your pen and paper, take some notes on how you can learn today and yeah, let's get started. So we've got a few topics we want to talk about, so probably only about 10 minutes on each maybe, but I think right at the moment, what are we in now, it's October 2019, um, is the health Care, health fund rebate issue where naturopaths and other allied healthcare practitioners have been, oh, what, what shall we say, had their rebates refused. Uh, what's the implications in practice? What have you guys been seeing? I think um, probably more than anything, patients have probably 
angered by it with the government. It's just another thing that they're taking away, the, um, the patient's choice. I've found in clinic that probably more it's the message that it sends um, our patients that, you know, the government feels that it's a, a wishy-washy um, modality or... Um, and, yeah, I haven't found too much um, change, probably financially. Um, but, yeah, as I said, it's, it's the message that it sends and it's just another thing that uh, we have to come against. Have you... So it hasn't impacted your practice specifically? Hasn't? Has Maybe subtly. A little yeah. bit. What yeah. about yourself, Karen? For us, so personally, I haven't had a change in client numbers. For us, our current client base honestly got between $17 and $25 back. So it was less about the financial rebate mm -hmm. and more about the hit on the credibility. Yes, yes. So for our current patient base, that hasn't impacted them. They're actually upset about, not at us, mm -hmm. but at uh, the change in the legislation. I think where it might be affecting is just with new patient numbers. Yeah. So maybe those people that haven't actually established a relationship with a practitioner yet, but we're probably contemplating yeah. moving in that direction. That's hard to measure, yeah. It's very hard to measure. Yeah. What about yourself, Naomi? I think with the whole um, medical, well, the rebate system, it has been a punch in the guts for us. It's We've put all that work in. You know, I've been in the industry 26 years working on humans and their bodies, and it just deflated me because I think with all of us as practitioners, we go in it because we want to help people and we feel proud of our what we do and we know that we do a great job. And then to just get the wind taken out of our sails and, and feel like that we're a bunch of witches or we're not to be believed <clears throat> and all our research and things that we put into it, it's just not taken any notice of. Yeah. I think that's really confronting for a practitioner as a practitioner. Yeah. But the secondary thing that I've found is that it really didn't, create a big difference in clinic. So I'm in WA, so there's lots of minors. Their rebate's really big because they must, by, by their company standards, have a high rebate, mm -hmm. which is about 125 to 155. Oh, okay. The great thing about that, and it was really good for, my, for me to feel good about what I did, is that they weren't coming for the rebate. And I think a lot of prackies yeah. get a bit stumped on that. Absolutely. They're not coming for the rebate, they're coming for our magic, mm. that thing that we do and that thing that we provide that nobody else does, no. just us. Mm. And it's hard for us to stand tall and proud when something like that actually happens mm. to us, isn't it? It's mm. like, it's really confronting. Mm. But I think the greatest thing is like what you guys have seen, it hasn't actually affected us. No. They come for us yeah. and they come for our knowledge and they come for their change. Yeah. Yeah. It has affected some practitioners. So yeah. Me being out and about talking to practitioners regularly, uh, they are finding the difference. But I think it's where you said, Hamish, about affecting new numbers coming in, mm -hmm. you know, like affecting new client numbers. And if you're not really an established practitioner, you might have only been in the industry a few years, then it, that was harder for them. It was more difficult there. Yep. Um, but I think it's also my belief is you know, very much about energetics as well. You know, you, you attract what you mm. think and what you believe. And so if you're a new practitioner and you think and you believe that it, we've been, our, our skill set's been negated, we're not believable, that we are a bunch of kooky practitioners with no evidence behind what we do, because that's the message that goes out there, yeah. is then that affects your mindset. Mm. And that mindset change then changes the energetics in your practice. Mm. 
and, and changes what comes in. At least that's the way that I view it. Absolutely. Yeah, it does give us an opportunity because patients, they're actually really interested in this topic. Um, and most of them, especially the ones that have been with you for years, it gives you the opportunity to, you know, go through the science again with them and also to, um, I guess, be able to um, explain the situation and how unfair it was. Yeah. And yes. I was having a chat with Julia Smith um, on Friday about this, you know, again, and I think they've just got a board um, together again. Um, under review. But we still yeah. won't know. I thought it was going to be April next year, but it's going to be a lot longer than that. Is it? Okay. Mm. Right. Yeah. So in the meantime, solutions focused. What's, what's your solutions? One thing that I would say is that our profession has always been consumer-driven. So we are not here because we've been established by a governing body. We're here because people choose us. Mm. They choose to consult with us. And that has been evident throughout history for our profession. So, of course, there's bumps in the road, and this probably is a bump in the road, but I have no doubt that we'll bounce back from mm. it. I think the same way. And consumer driven because, and it's results driven. Exactly. exactly. It works. Yep. So. Yep. Yep. Mm. Yep. And the whole, um, you know, with our industry, that whole consumer driven is that the reality in economics of the world is that our industry is the one that's growing the fastest yeah, out of all other industries. We are beyond trillions. And I think that that's the thing that new practitioners have to hang on to is that then they're, they're part of an, an exploding industry. Yeah. And this little knockback, that's nothing. That's a drop in our ocean of awesomeness. Well, you know what I mean? We're going collectively sort of 60 years. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, we're so old. And, and this, is only one, this is only one little thing that we, you know, these the are just whole, obstacles and yeah. we always find ways around it. And, it, yeah. you know, if it wasn't the pan issue and then, yeah. you know, there's, there's something all the time. So yeah. I think, you know, the, the lesson mm. from this podcast to sort of year grads is, you know, keep your chin up and it's just one of those things that we just have to get through yeah, and it does make us pass. stronger. And yeah. you look at countries like New Zealand, so close to us, and hi New Zealand listeners, um, <laughs> they've not had it. they never had rebates. The, the health mm. funds never supported them no. and their industry is doing not yeah. so. I like that point. That's a great point. Mm. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's get on to topic number two. Ooh, oh. religion, sex and money. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Let's just pick money. sex for fun. Let's pick the sex okay. For fun. <laughs> right, so uh, no, let's do money. Okay. Uh, so my concern watching this for years and years and years is about prescribing, making the right prescribing choices for your patients based on getting the results. I remember one of the one of the best pieces of information I got when I first was in practice was a chiropractor a couple of day, doors down the road. And he came in and he said, your patients come to you for results. Do what it takes to get those results. If that means you have to see them twice a week, then see them twice a week to get those results. And, you know, from a chiropractic perspective, it's, it equates then to a naturopathic side of things. What have you got to prescribe to get those results in patients? And, you know, it's, it's not unusual for practitioners to say, oh, look, I only prescribe this and this because <clears throat> they couldn't afford it. Well, could they not afford it? Do they tell you they couldn't afford it? Oh, no, no. So practitioners are making choices mm. for the patients, which is not really honouring or respecting their health, their life, and the implications of the health state that mm. they're in, yep. my feeling. Yep. 
um, thoughts and solutions. So from my perspective, Angela, we've often drawn to this profession because we want to help people. So we have a deep empathy and really want to make the world a better place and have outcomes that are not predetermined by socioeconomic status. So I think when we're trying to resolve the humanitarian within us, but then our livelihood depends on charging the patients that need our help, Mm -hmm. uh, that can be a difficult thing for a lot of practitioners to resolve. And I think what is reflected in that is that we all have our own complex relationship with money. (laughs) And often we are reflecting that as a point of self-worth. So often if we are actually projecting that onto our patients from our own structure within ourselves, it actually creates an obstacle Mm. because you're making decisions about what the patient can or cannot have, can or cannot afford um, before you actually even ask them. And that really gets in the way of delivering best healthcare, which is not necessarily just giving them more products, but if you're actually rationalising that before you even speak to the patient, then you're probably unfairly making decisions on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very, <clears throat> very rational and very sane way of looking at it because that's exactly how it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, I think that way. Um, any thoughts you want to put into that, Naomi? I, I agree. So with us um, prackies and especially the ones starting out, it's sort of like, um, you know, when you're first starting out, we all remember this. We were just discussing this previously about, you know, we what price we actually put ourselves at all those years ago. And I think sometimes people are um, prescribing from a, a, a poverty-driven decision. So, you know, they're, they're deciding that if they haven't got 100 million people walking in the door or if they're not, their clinic's not going as great as it should be, they're going to prescribe that way, like you were saying. So I learned a really valuable thing and it was prescribe like they're billionaires right and it's not to over prescribe it's to not it's to be part of the absolute wellness industry not the sickness industry because you're under prescribing them or giving them something cheaper as a cheaper option which isn't going to work as well as something that's more expensive so if we take that, you know, that fear base that they're not going to come back to us, they're not going to turn up for their next appointment. That's their yeah. yeah. And we truly step into the fact that we are wellness mm. and we expect results, then then that's how we need to prescribe. And people have a fear of that. Mm. It's going to cost this much money. Mm. I can't give them that one. I'm going to give them this one. Yeah. And then the person doesn't get well. So your business doesn't flourish because you didn't get the results with that person. Mm. So the, the fact of the matter is if you don't prescribe effectively because of your fear of money, you're not going to make more money mm. from referrals because of a results-driven prescription. Yeah. That's correct. Does that make sense? And also when we talk about symptomatic care versus corrective care, symptomatic care, yeah, you can take a few things off. But if we practice the way we practice, which is actually getting to the underlying drivers, we can't take one thing away because it just affects the whole prescription and they won't get the results. And, you know, I, I think back on this thing with um, prescribing, I think your own mindset and self-worth, you know, you'll only be able to charge what currently your mindset's at and that's where you've got to do a lot of work on that. And I'm a big believer in, you know, neuroemotional technique and all of these sort of things and unblocking those blockages towards, you know, um, money and, and, and wealth and 
and, and those sort of things. So work on your work on your financial mindset. That's correct. Have an abundance mindset mm. um, is important. But again, it's you know it's also important for us to be aware that it's not about overcharging a patient. It's not about ripping people off. It's about giving them the foundational stuff that they need. And I used to always say to my patients, it's a means to an end. Mm. You're only going to be on this for a while. Mm. And once you're actually okay and you've built a strong foundation, then the prescription is going to get less and yeah. less with that time. Yeah. So you, you, you just sometimes you've got to go hard and fast in the beginning mm. yep. and pull back later yep. on. The other thing too is you don't know who's paying the bill of the patient. You know, Sometimes it's not them. You know, And... Um, yeah, so I think making that preconceived judgment, it's mm. um, it's a real failure, especially, uh, you know, not to sort of bring in, you know, new grads, but, you know, we've all had them in clinic and mm-hmm. we sort of come in and, and we're interested to see what they prescribed and it's, um, you know, one little drops or, you know, <laughs> yeah. ginger yeah. drops. Yeah, right? Yeah. 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 And it's not going to, and once again, it's results-driven medicine. We're in this industry because... We love science. We love how the body works. Everything we use is because there's research done on it. Mm. And it, everything we use is because it gets results. So if we want results, we have to invest in the patient and make them understand they need this for the results and not be afraid to go, I'm sorry, but you actually need this one. It's double the price of that one, but that one works better. Would you like mm. this one or that one? Yeah. Yeah. No way. It's number. It's A. Yeah. It's A every time. Yeah. Right. This shouldn't be a choice. No, absolutely not. It should be results. Yeah. Sorry, Keone, we're going to say No, something. that's okay. <laughs> I think that Naomi really raised a such important point before where when things are not going well, there's a tendency to actually pull back and go more into the lack mindset. And often this prescribing habit that we're talking about is done subconsciously. Like people and practitioners are not even aware that they're Correct. doing it. So one of the tips – and I've had a love-hate relationship with money over the years and had some breakthroughs, thankfully, and charged really low levels when I first started in practice. You know, all of those things I've experienced myself. But the thing that's really helped me thrive in the face of adversity, in the face of things like private health insurance, is actually focusing on the internal factors that I have a lot more control over rather than focusing all of my energy on either private health insurance rebates or there's not enough patients or not enough, not enough, not enough, mm-hmm. actually turning those that questioning inside mm-hmm. and going, what am I doing and how can I do it better and how can I be more aware of my own kind of mindset and structure yeah. around some of these aspects. Have any of you, um, you mentioned, Hamish, about having NET work done, going and getting some self-help. I, back in the day, used to do a bit of kinesiology to get me over my lumps and bumps. Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys done work as well? Do you, you know, like it's heal or heal thyself? Absolutely. So I've actually done quite a bit of extensive work on myself, like many different um, courses on self-awareness, gone and done business courses, um, clearing blockages for money. So it's funny you should say that because I actually, money's amazing. It's a side effect of the magic we create, right? Mm. If we find our passion and the thing that we love, it just explodes, Mm. right? Mm. So I think that whole working on ourselves, like counselling, if you have to pick your... Pick your poison, right? So some people like kinesiology, some people like a psychologist, some people like a counsellor or whatever it is. I think that whole process of never stopping working on ourselves because think of all the stuff that we've learned 
in sessions where oh. we've gone to get help ourselves yeah. and not been afraid yeah. to, and drop the ego of it. Yeah. Like drop that ego, That's go right. and get help, yeah. get someone to reflect back at you. Yeah. And the things that we've learned, surely we've actually helped our clients more with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. I think you always hit that glass ceiling where, you know, you feel that, you, you know, you've gone as far as you can and then you've got to do more work on yourself. Yep. To go to that next level. Definitely. Yeah. Or things you've learnt but you haven't, you've had these blockages to doing it. Like yep. certain things in best practice, you know. It's now <laughs> that I'm starting, I've been to so many best practice but, you know, I might say, oh, why haven't I done this? And then you look back and you think, you know, I should have done this years ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's always that, um, I think when you, when you are able to observe yourself effectively and reflect objectively, mm. And you notice that self-sabotage that's stopping you from going forward to either helping mm. your clients, that's so right. whether it's a prescription, whether mm. it's money, whether it's something to do with an issue of the heart or relation or whatever it is, mm. it's it's reflecting on that, that sabotage issue. And it's mm. what we teach our patients. Mm. And sometimes because we're so busy and we're so in it, we re- forget to reflect on ourselves that's and think, how do we level up? How do we, what's our next point of magic? What's our next goal? And how do I bust through the ceiling? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, like you <laughs> said, and like you said, it doesn't matter whether that's a kinesiologist, a business yeah. mentor, a podcast. massage therapist, a podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's really it's, your blind spots are your blind spots and yeah. they're hard yeah. to see yourself. So you really need a third party yeah. to let and really let it down in terms yeah. of all the guards and really be vulnerable with that so that you can move through it. Agreed. We expect our patients to be vulnerable. Absolutely. Let's put the shoes on ourselves. Uh, A couple of times, just in that last session, was mentioned the word business. Yes. So that brings me as a segue into the next topic area that we uh, identified as things that come up in practice that need a little bit of an addressing. Uh, And that was a lack of employment opportunities for graduate naturopaths. So this is something that is a bit of a bugbear with me. It's I hear so often from practitioners, I just can't get in for clinic observation hours. You know, there's no practice that will take me at the moment, which I just think is just ridiculous. I used to have patients come and sit through all of my consultations, but no problem at all. The patients didn't mind at all. It was a learning process. So um, thoughts on that, comments and then solutions. Kiani, do you want to go first? Sure. You look excited. So with new graduates, I think it's really tricky because in those first few years, you really need to be able to focus on honing the craft. There's so much to think about in terms of not only case assessment, managing the health of the patient and then the treatment outcomes, but also managing the patient when they're sabotaging themselves, when they're not complying, when they're not turning up to sessions. So there's actually a lot that goes on in that room. So if you try and add on top of that running a business as well, it's actually a completely different skill set to being in practice. So I'm a real advocate for actually in those first few years just trying to focus on being a practitioner Mm. and then if you want to go into business, doing that down the track when you've actually got your head around the profession itself and that's from experience because I did walk straight out of a student clinic into my own practice the next week and paid for that with blood sweat and tears 
until I got to the point where I got help and learned more about business and that was quite helpful. But I think that often we go into our undergraduate education not realising that we're going to be a business owner at the end. We don't sign up for a business degree. No. You know, a naturopathic degree or a nutrition Mm. degree or something. You don't actually realise it is a business degree. Absolutely. And certainly there's one subject usually on business, but it doesn't really give you the practical skills that you need uh, when you're first starting out. So I think one of the most powerful things that you can do if you are newer to practice is actually finding someone that you can sit in on and observe Mm-hmm. because student clinics are often really focused on the first few appointments, so initial, second and third, but don't really go beyond that. So how long do you manage a condition for? How long do you treat it for? When do you start to taper off? How do you know all of those things if you've never been involved? Mm-hmm. So some of the most powerful sessions that people have sat in on me with are when everything's going wrong and nothing's worked and how I manage that patient. Mm. And that's actually just a really valuable learning environment. Mm. Because it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. And what do you do when it doesn't work? How do you handle Mm. that situation? How do you handle an angry patient? How do you handle somebody that's got an adverse reaction to to what you've been, what you've prescribed? But uh, clinic, college clinic, in my experience, doesn't (laughs) I think it's the dialogue, you know, as you were saying, Keone, you know, what do you say to the patient when, you know, they've got frustrations and, you know, and how do you bring them back and have faith in that you're going to take them from point A to point B? Um, And that takes experience and that's something that you don't learn at at student clinic necessarily. The other thing that we're in when you're talking about that story is we're in a sales industry as well. You know, we're mm. selling health. Mm. And so how do you sell the health package to your yeah. client? That conversation yeah. you're saying then. But also being interested in the patient. And when when we have students, they're like, gee, you're so interested. And you know, you know, even when you ask, you know, if you, if you got little Johnny's birthday cake last week, you know, just having that sort of, it's not just about, you know, what are you going to give the patient and, and what tests are you going to, you know, it's actually just really caring for the patient and, um and I think that's something that you can't really teach, but you know, when they see how you how you are in clinic, that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. I love it. You're, totally you're doing true. you're doing a fist pump there, no? I'm doing fist a fist pump. What were you fist pumping at? Bringing back humanity, bringing back that love, that one, you know, that that thing that busts out of our chest, and the reason we started this all those years ago, right? Bringing it back. Yeah. Right, and not just prescribing like a doctor. Yeah. It, it's like the art is 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 crumbling at the foundations. It's an art what we do, mm. right? So people come back for our empathy, our passion, our compassion, right? So I think with that whole, you know, with these patients that come into our clinic and creating packages for them mm. so that we're looking at their long-term health, the thing that I've learned in all these years is, you know what, that piece of paper in that script and their disease state and their imbalances, they're 10%. Mm-hmm. That's what I've learned. Yep. And as, as long as I can create change in their spirit, yeah. right, find some magic, shift to how they view things in the light that they're seeing them, how they view themselves, how they create confidence or clarity or some bit of calm, that's my magic, right? 
that script and whatever else we're fixing, yeah. that's a side effect of actually making them feel like they're powerful and awesome again mm-hmm. and motivating them to set their goals and achieve them, yeah. right? Remove their blockages. Funny enough, they don't need any more scripts anymore. <laughs> it is 10% man and that's that's the magic and that's what we have that other professions don't have. That's what we have, that bedside manner that is missing. Mm-hmm. We've got that. The right. thing is there's research on bedside manner and the effects Ooh. that it has. So wow, that's it's research. That, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah, oh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> He's like one of my heroes, man. <laughs> so then how, I've got a book how, how can we help? How can we help um, raise the, the level in the industry, the awareness in the industry that we do need to intake? That we do need to have mentorship, that we need to take practitioners, new grad practitioners on. And when they've come through and they've learnt all the wonderful things that we can teach them and they're a much better practitioner, you know, three years down the track, how many years, five years down the track, if that's what it takes, we have to be big enough as a practitioner to release them as well without any implications. So you go out there, do a great job now, the mm. industry is going to be better for the fact that you're well-trained and you're out there rather than starting at scratch on your own, new clinic floundering around. Yep. So what are, what, are, what are our solutions? I think with the newbies, right, like like I'm sure we came out, right? Green as. Green as. <laughs> oh, my God, I think I was Shrek. So <laughs> when when we came out, think about how much we, you know, I know we've, we've been doing it for a million years, but think about how much we got paid and, and the difference to that and what we scale up to now. Mm. I think the problem is that we don't really have an award wage, inverted commas, for... Um, levels of service in mm. in our industry for naturopaths etc mm. mm. and I think that um, people come out expecting to get paid like the the, the big bucks without experience yeah. so uh, there has to be some some sliding scale and within within practices as individuals because it's not industry set that we set up something where we have new people come in and you get paid this much for this long and when you've been here for this long then you get uh, then you get an increase yeah. mm-hmm. then you're not on probation anymore you become you know a, 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 a whatever name you want to call it practitioner and then you become and I think that might be a way to just bring in these people pay them not just to observe and sit in clinic for free but to actually pay them an award wage and give them something to to head towards so that it's fair for them and it's fair for us and they get the experience they need and they create trust with us that we can bring them into our clinic. Surely something like that can happen. Other industries do it. So law firms, for example, do that. You come in as an associate. Yeah. 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 Junior associate. I think the same thing. Yeah. And mentoring them. Absolutely. But but I don't think they know that there really is. I mean, I know that you were talking about that last year. Mm. Angela, but um, yeah, I think that's what we need. Yeah, well, probably the message needs to get into the colleges. That's correct. That the, when you graduate, you can go and have a you know do your own business, or you could come in through on a mm. mentorship or a um, an associate practitioner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Good. Yeah. So, the business, the business of running a business. That's the hardest part. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. all of us have run our own businesses. All of us have been busy practitioners. Keone, how many how many staff do you have? 
35. 35 stuff, okay, let's start with you then. Lack of business acumen. Lack of business acumen. Yes. In practitioners, what do we do about that? Well, I think there's probably some solutions on multiple levels. So firstly is recognising that when you graduate you don't know how to run a business. Mm. And that is Unless a, they've done it before. Unless they've done it before and they've got some experience, absolutely. Mm. So really understanding where your limitations are and and sort of maybe shutting down your scope of practice just to be in, like I said, honing the craft. But outside of that, individuals at the moment have to seek their own help. So that's what I recommend because I, in the first three years of practice, really just worked so hard. And when I opened ReMed initially, it was a disaster because I went from working four days a week to six days, often 12 hours a day, seeing, you know, 50 patients a week, often with no receptionist. So it was absolutely a disaster you know my dream come true just within 18 months I was like get me out of here I never want to come back to this awful place again and it really took a big shift for me to get from that place to now Mm -hmm. which was really taking on that I didn't know how to run a business and that the skill set to run that clinic was Mm -hmm. completely different to being a practitioner Mm -hmm. so I think that awareness first and foremost is the most important and then seeking help I think as a profession, there's a lot more that we can do and that definitely starts in colleges in terms of having a bit more of a practical application of some business, basic business acumen, yeah. most important being make more money than you spend. But how do you have the, uh, I guess, processes and systems in place to know that that's happening? Yeah. Um, and then certainly, I guess, in terms of having some more mentorship programs and internships for the profession really help actually because one of the best ways to actually learn is to be in a busy clinic and look at how they're running but certainly I think increasing the education around business Mm. for our profession is just really important because most of us end up in a position where we're running our own business. I suppose like how the chiropractors are you know they're taught a lot I think about business in college you know and they all know how to you know, well, they seem to be able to run, you know, successful practice, um, practices. And I think the other thing, just on that, if, if you go on a break and you want to put a locum on, mm. everyone practices so differently. Mm. Whereas with the chiropractors, you know, they can sort of take over. And I think that's another challenge mm. for us, but that's probably another podcast or another I think, issue. I think putting into place, you know, just on that, on the locum side of things, but just putting, putting into place a, a policies and procedures manual, an operations manual, should be foundational first of all for running your business. You know, so if you haven't got one, definitely, definitely get one because definitely. you know you don't know who might just have to step in to follow your processes. Mm. Um, I remember the first time I went on holiday to put a locum in. Thirty percent of my patients drop out. Mm. And I was like, damn. <laughs> yeah, right. Learned from that one. Mm. Yeah. But going back to running a business. Dead silence. Oh, my God. I, I've got some doozies, <laughs> right? I'm the worst boss ever invented in the universe. I want all my staff to be my friend. Um, my, my, That's an issue. Um, you've got to keep the standard of a boss. And the other thing you've got to do to be, to be a boss, the reason you're doing that is to keeping your branding on point, yep. to keep the energetics and your values on point within your clinic, right? So that that everyone knows that everything everyone's the same everyone's on, on the same you know path. Mm. The thing that I found is um, being in a super busy clinic. So 
I used to see dumb amounts of patients. So it, I was working 60 hours a week, which is not healthy. Um, I was seeing 20 up to – the most I saw in one day was 38 humans in one day. And that's just stupid, right? So I was burning out and I lost my passion. So in losing my passion, I lost interest in patience. I wondered what what the hell I was doing here. Is this my life in these four walls, right? And so I think the the thing for all practitioners is to self-care a bit more. Yeah. To to un, to really be able to know what their their mm. first signs of burnout are, mm. and to be able to take a step back when they really need to. But the other thing is, if we want to go on holidays, how much does that holiday cost for all of us? Mm. If we haven't got other income streams, yeah. so I think it's about the whole business side of thing is to develop the different income streams. Mm. That whether you're there or not, you're still making money in your sleep. You know, we all want to be sleeping and making money. Yeah. Yeah. That's a glitcher. Income streams and what do people do to create income streams or bring more money into their clinic? And that's a really modern day clinic focus. Um, It's something that's only come about in probably the last five years is this concept of having passive income streams for a practice. So that's something I do want to do a whole whole dedicated podcast to. Yeah. We'll actually work on that one. But... um, yeah. So. Oh, one more thing, mm, location please. freedom, right? So location I think freedom. Location freedom. So one of the biggest glitches that, that I had in my clinic is I felt stuck and that's when my passion started to drop off, mm. right? And I started to wander in my mind, right? So I wasn't on point. So I found that if I um, created location freedom by doing people online, mm. wherever I am, I've been on holidays and done patients, sitting by the pool, right? I'm making money. Question just is, is yes. really holiday? <laughs> well, it is for me because you know this job is awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's a great way to go. Yeah. That's why I do just, coaching now so yeah. I can actually yeah. coach from wherever my laptop happens to be. Yeah. And that gives me that freedom. Exactly. So. You read the four-hour work week, is it? I haven't read that one. No, yet. but I can read that. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's yeah. not that long anymore, but anyway... <laughs> So I'm just conscious of time because we've got a seminar that we're going to be doing this afternoon. Yeah. Or sitting through this afternoon. Um, so I do want to thank you all on that. Is there any, any last words from anyone at all? Any thoughts? Any aspects? Or well, basically, program? just on that, you know, I think we all, um, you know, are people pleasers quite often. And I think it's, you know, being a friend um, in small business and then but being the boss. And I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges is, is people managing, managing mm. people's different personalities. Um, but that's that could be another mm. podcast. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So thing, at the end of the day, there's resources. I suppose if we're looking at a solution, there's resources. Mm. There's You can jump onto LinkedIn. does a mm. lot of good business, little short business courses. Leadership. Yeah. Leadership courses, people management courses. Um, Smart Insights is another source of Smart Insights. It's another source of... Um, you know, learning that you can get. There's lots of free education out there, you know, and I think I think you'd be silly to be watching Netflix when you could be educating yourself and becoming better at what you do. Yeah, mm. I agree. Obviously, I'm not a big Netflix watcher. <laughs> 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 so the title of this podcast is Standing on the Shoulders of Giants. So I'm going to put this out to all three of you just to give me what would your piece of advice be to practitioners out there, new 
old time, long time practitioners. So what's what's your word of wisdom? Who's got something? So I put you on the spot. You're looking at me blankly. <laughs> you only's got yeah. something. I love the hands up. <laughs> My one piece of advice is to turn up look at internal focuses rather than external and it doesn't matter where you are in practice I guess when things are not going well we can always focus on you know government governance economical external factors that just kind of outward blame our situation but honestly it's not what's going to improve us in our own journey of self-discovery by being a practitioner Whereas if we actually really take an honest look internally, not to say that we're doing anything wrong, but just that I always want to be incrementally better. So I know 100% I'm a much better practitioner than when I started. But I also know I'm going to be a practitioner next year compared to what I am today because that internal focus and just seeing it as self-discovery and that allows me to continue to break the ceilings no matter where I am right now. Love it. That is great advice. Kiani, thank you. Who's up next? Who's been inspired? Well, I've written a, a, a few little things here, but we could go on forever really. I just said really, really care about your patients like it's your your husband, your wife, your parents. Um, educate yourself um, and work on yourself and remove any blockages that are holding you back from being your best in clinic. Great. Like that yeah. as well, and we do that in all aspects of our life. Yeah, I think um, I totally agree with you guys, and yeah, we have to remove the barriers of the 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 practitioner up here and the patients here, and create that level playing field. And it's like it's like it's we have to love them, and we're sort of trained not to love them. We're trained to be almost white coat. Mm. And, and separate from them. And I think that's the biggest mistake that anyone, because all people want to feel part of something and feel understood. Mm. And the moment we convey that message to our peeps, that's where the magic happens. Mm. And I think with, our, with, with practitioners, which we've all done, is to specialise. What, what is the one thing that, that is your thing? What is the one thing that you're really amazing at that gets you up in the morning that if you won the lotto, you would do that for free. Mm. What is that? As, we, as soon as we find that one little, that one little diamond, then the money just comes with it and everything flows. So we can be a general practitioner, mm. or we can be a specialist practitioner. Yeah. We can't help everyone, but who is the person we can help? Yeah. That's I think that's important. I think that is really important and you know just with with my coaching one of the big things I do when I'm coaching practitioners is you know what is your ideal patient you know who is your ideal patient and speak to that patient because you know oh, I've got lots I, I, I'm a you know I treat lots of different things yeah. I do lots of different mm. stuff well that's great but you can't market to everybody no you, know, you might treat everybody but you can't market to everybody at least effectively mm. so yeah you know if you if you want your business to grow And you want to do, what's your slant and what's your brand? You know what I mean? What's the thing that makes you different to everybody else? Mm. So quite often we have to drop our titles. You know, we could sit here and say, I'm a this, I'm a that, but what is it? So all four of us are naturopaths. Yeah. And none of us treat the same way. Absolutely not. We're all very different. No. So you can't put it under one banner. No, and I've actually totally gone away from that now. Mm. So I've got, I'm just the joy diva. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> because I could sit there and list all my stuff. Mm. Or what's the thing that I love bringing to humans? I love them to find their joy, mm. right? So out there, what is it? That's what's our specialty. Thank you for listening to the Metagenics Best Practice Podcast. Find us on iTunes and leave a review. Join our practitioner-only Metagenics Facebook group to be informed of new podcast releases, keep up to date with key industry updates and more. Visit metagenics.com.au to find useful links and resources relating to this podcast and sign up to our e-newsletter.